Hello and welcome to Guru Please, the show about pushing the limits of life and stepping up to live with more meaning, more purpose, and more passion. I'm your host, Jessica Sun, and I'd like to introduce Gail Villanueva. Gail is a mortgage note investor and author of Real Estate, What's Your Best Fit? She's had a fascinating career where she went from top real estate agent to working at NASA. She's also done real estate wholesaling and property rehabs. But what's most interesting to me is that she's lived through the deaths of her mother, sister, father, and daughter. She left home at the age of 16. And fast forward to today, she's achieved financial freedom through passive cash flow. So Gail, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jessica. I really appreciate that. Gail, so tell me, how have you been kind of coping and adjusting to COVID and the new lifestyle changes? Oh, my goodness. Um, it's funny because this is a very people-oriented business. And things are still going. I, in fact, uh, this week I worked on a couple of uh, purchase agreements and got one through today and then one last week. So the business is still moving. But you've taken a significant piece out of that. And that's the people part. <laughs> You have to learn how to, our new normal right now is online and without people. And we've had a lot of Zoom meetings and, you know, um, Google Hangouts and, and things like that to take up to that. But it still doesn't make up for that, that uh, significant in real life piece. So we're adapting and finding out new ways to do business and being creative with it. Yeah, that's really important. Like, especially now that, you know, a lot of us just have never experienced a thing like this before. Well, I can tell you, I don't think any of us have. And I think this is going to be one of those, I think it's going to change the fabric of how societies work. You know, in some cases, you know, like my granddaughter is in um, online school. They had the school up partially online, so it was a quick transition. And I think people are going to like in some ways being able to work online because I think that's going to stay with us. And then I think in some ways that, you know, we can't get paranoid about what's going to happen. But this is going to be a very global, different than the 2008-2009 meltdown, you know, because that was on a financial aspect. <laughs> this is also on not just the financial, but the people part of it because we've had various stages of lockdowns and everything. The one thing that hasn't changed is that people still need a place to live. Right, exactly. Real yeah. estate's still at play. It is still at play. Even at the worst of times, if you look at it, people that had survived and able to maintain, they lost money. I mean, we're going to lose money in this, but it's always been some sort of real estate oriented industry that's kept them afloat. And speaking about adjusting to new situations, uh, in reading your book, you mentioned just so many twists <laughs> and turns and things like that in mm -hmm. life. Like I wanted to start at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your childhood and how that was growing uh, up. Well, I could say I was bored, <laughs> yeah, but you know, everybody is. But I, I mean, I look back on my childhood and I think, oh man, you know, because I had such an amazing, amazing childhood. I was uh, the fifth child of five. So I had that like coveted thing of having three older sisters and an older brother. And, you know, but I, with that, there was some, you know, you talk about twists and turns. Um, with that comes the inherent, well, I thought you were watching Gail. <laughs> So I know of at least a couple of times that I've been lost, I've been drowned, I've been forgotten, you know, I survived all that, but, you know, didn't, you know, uh, really blame my siblings too much about it. I guess I was active or something, I don't know. But my dad was an Air Force pilot, and we got to go all over the world. I was born overseas in England, and um, we had the opportunity to travel a lot and see a lot, see a lot of cultures. I learned to um, uh, be able to um, adapt and understand different cultures. So when I'm dealing with international 
investors. I, I know and understand and respect what's involved with all of that. Then we settled down and went from very structured military, going to schools and on military bases, to the San Francisco Bay Area in 1970. <laughs> and if you want to talk about a culture shock, <laughs> that was it. Okay, I mean, we're talking Black Panthers, SLA, we're talking Patty Hearst, we're talking the whole gamut of everything that could ever have happened, happened in the San Francisco Bay Area in the 1970s when I lived there. So, you know, fast forward a little bit, you mentioned that my sister, uh, she got cancer and she died and I was 12. I didn't really understand that she was even sick. So that was kind of, uh, that was that was tough. And she had a six-month-old baby. Her husband left. He couldn't, he was young. You know, he's only 26, and he couldn't adapt to, wait, my wife is dying. We had my sister and then my nephew, and we raised him, and we adopted him eventually. And then my mom died quite suddenly, right after school. Mm -hmm. Massive heart attack at the age of 45 right in front of me. Wow. You know, you also mentioned my daughter. I think my mom may have died of a broken heart. I don't know. But here we are. And we had what we had. And I've just always been of the mindset of don't panic into the situation, but try to figure out how you can adapt and improvise to the situation. So believe it or not, we adapted. And then my dad didn't. <laughs> my dad didn't. How did you all adopt? We didn't. Uh, after your mom passed well, away. Well, I, I, my sister had met this guy. She's 17. Again, I was the youngest one. So I always took care of Greg. I always got him to school, the babysitter, picked him up. We hung out, washed him, they bathed him, you know, uh, fed him, did my homework. And that was kind of our, our new normal. And then my dad was lonely. And this woman came along and convinced him that, it would be better if he could have somebody to help him raise the now the three of us. My sister was 17. I was now 14. And then Greg was two. And I'm like, we're going along okay. I don't mind. You know, he's a, he's an easy kid, you know. And then he married this woman. And she had this progression that she had my, you know, put in her mind that they'd have Greg, a little boy, convinced him that he was, you know, the, the son. and then we would kind of like disappear. My sister went to college. Her daughter, she signed over to the state of California, which is trouble. And I was next. I couldn't let somebody define my, my destiny like that. And some people are like, man, you should be pissed off at your dad. And I'm like, no, I understood that my dad was where he was and it was time for me to go on. So I did. 10th grade dropout, now on the streets. Uh, I worked on farms, fast food, restaurants, babysat, cleaned up houses, blah, 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 the whole bit. And then was going to join Job Corps. And then I met my husband, my first husband, and then the rest is history from that. How do I adapt and adjust to that? It's mindset. Because just in that time of my first 17, 18 years, could have just knocked me down for every right, and I'd have every right to be upset and complain about it. But that would give me nowhere. I mean, I had every right to be angry and, like, you know, I felt, like, betrayed. By whom? Well, I felt betrayed by life. <laughs> I felt like, wait a minute, this isn't, here I am, I'm, I'm on the fast track to be an Air Force uh, officer. I was on the fast track to go to flight school. But back in the day, they were only doing navigators or, or you know, getting women in as navigators. I was going that way. I was going that path. And then the second option was I was going to be an attorney and go to college at the University of California at Berkeley. Both were really great paths. But that wasn't how it was supposed to play out. So I accepted that and said I wasn't going to fall to my circumstances. And the defining moment, I will never forget it for the rest of my life, was I was standing next to now wicked stepsister. <laughs> and stepmonster was there. Those are my endearing terms for them, by the way. And she goes, um, you two are exactly the same now. You're, everything is exactly even in your lives. 
And I, why she said that, you know, obviously a control thing. I looked at her and I went, oh, hell no. <laughs> and after that, that was my driving to become an overachiever. And I didn't go to Job Corps. I went to Hawaii and lived in Hawaii for a couple of years with my then husband. And then got my real estate license and, uh, you know, worked for my dad in the time there. I worked for my uncle and my dad cleaning rentals when I was a kid. Forget child labor laws. I, I talk about it in my book. But um, everything that I've done in my life has led to a, a a path and a progression of there's something better around the corner, and I know it. Once you got into real estate, you soon found yourself doing a lot of mm -hmm. sales, and then you decided to transition out of it into working at NASA. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Walk us through what made you do that or what led you to kind of let something good go and jump into something new and exciting. Well, yeah, I was definitely doing exciting. Um, remember the part about my dad flying. I've always been fascinated by things that flew. I'm, you know, fast approaching my 60s now. So I grew up in a time when the Apollo program was going on. And it was also between the time my dad was being sent over to Vietnam. So we had a couple of cross-country trips. People in my age group will remember this, but back in the day when you got a full tank of gas at the golf stations, they gave you a little pop-out little lunar lander that you could make and put slot A and tab B and all this other stuff. And um, I made hundreds of them. <laughs> and I was always fascinated. And when um, Apollo 11 landed, we were in a hotel in El Paso, Texas. And I remember walking out and looking at the moon going, man, I'd love to do that someday. A nine-year-old kid in, in 1969 going, I wanted to do that someday. Put that aside, did definitely, you know, did uh, really good as a traditional agent around here. My former husband gave me a lot of leads because he was in the military and the, 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 the space program was uh, gearing up. And, um, you know, this is the era of the 1980s, so shuttle program was uh, going really well. So I applied, <laughs> and they accepted me, and <laughs> I couldn't, wow. So I went into my broker, and I said, hey, guess what? I'm going to go into an inactive status. See, I never gave up my real estate license. He told me I was crazy. So I went out an entry-level GS nothing and worked there for 26 years. It was an amazing, amazing career. And during that time, I still did referrals. And then my current husband and I got into buying holes and fix and flips. Because I could do that because we weren't actually doing the work. If you do the work, you're a hobbyist. But it's a matter of careful control of your time and what you want to achieve and what you want to do. I'd come out from a nasty divorce from husband one. <laughs> so I was trying to rebuild my financial uh, independence through real estate. And we did. And then when I retired three years ago now, we just went full on into it. At the same time that those TV shows came out. So then you have to do a course correction. See, my life has been a series of course corrections. And that's how I like to look at it. Because I see something happen and it's like, okay, well, then maybe I need to go this way. And most of the time I guess right. <laughs> so that's how that all came about. And it was a fantastic time and a fantastic career. But real estate was always there for me. How do you know when it's time for a course correction? You know, because sometimes we do have goals we want to achieve. We're not supposed to give up on them, right? We want to keep going after it mm -hmm. and not just change plans. Like, how do you, how do you know when it's time? A lot of it comes down, believe it or not. I'm a scientist, remember? <laughs> but you know that, you've ever heard that gut instinct? You know, a lot of times it's because you can process information so quickly that you can arrive at things and not understand how and why you did that. And women are really good at that, not to be sexist, but we had to keep the species alive. So we had to react to that, you know, mammoth getting ready to eat the child. <laughs> it's a matter of being able to process information quickly and efficiently. And I got that a lot from NASA because I was a project manager out there and did different things. So I was able to do that. So when you decide a course correction, is when it doesn't feel right anymore, when it actually your stomach hurts. 
if you decide to do something like my big drive and passion, I told you about me being homeless, that is my big drive and passion about real estate. I believe everybody should have a safe, comfortable home or place in which to go every day and every night. That's my whole driving factor. I know what it's like to be on the other side. Any and everything I do leads to that. So if you find something that you are so passionate about that it doesn't matter if you did it for free or if you did it for a million dollars, it, it makes you want to go and do it. And if you've got that, then any and everything that you have to decide goes to that. If you start pursuing something that doesn't feel right anymore, like with the fix and flips, okay, we were doing them. I had systems and processes. I could do a house in six weeks, start to finish, from the time I bought it to the time it closed on it because of the, the marketing techniques I used. I said, wait a minute, I can't find inventory anymore. Wait a minute, I'm competing against everybody. My margins aren't correct. Nothing is lining up anymore. I'm trying to make this happen because I love taking old houses and making them look good again. Everybody does. It's a, it's a tremendous feeling. But when I was struggling, that's when you have to have a course correction. I guess that's the really long answer to your very straightforward question. So you mentioned that when you were at NASA, mm -hmm. you still did real estate work. How did you manage your time? First off, I've got to clarify that. I was never on government time when I was doing any real estate. What I did was I was very clever. Okay, I was a member of the multiple listing service, so I would put alerts four houses that may hit MLS. And then my husband was the leading edge of that. He would either get the alerts or he would find something or he would hear about something or we would get some kind of notification and he knew to run the numbers and he knew how to run the numbers. So he did that while I was at, at work. I got off at 4.30, between 4 and 4.30, depending on what time I went in. 2,080 hours a year. <laughs> so if he found something, he would call me like at lunch and say, hey, this one's worth pursuing. So I would set up all the appointments during my lunch hour. And then at 4 or 4.30, we would go down and look at it. Well, when I started getting met with a field of other lookers, because most of them were lookers, and they would bid them up too high, or we'd go on a Saturday morning, and I was like one of the first people there, and again, a field of people. That's when I knew it was not going to work. So we went to uh, buy and hold. Now, if we were doing a rehab, we had our painters and our roofers. And I was a scheduler. And a, I worked schedules and budgets and project management at NASA. So I pulled in all those skills. And then my husband was the one with the boots on the ground and at the work sites. Then we went to buy and hold. we just go look at it when we could, run all the analysis and data at whatever time to determine whether or not it's a good fit. And I go from there. I see. Yeah. So you really were able to organize your time and mm -hmm. have a process around what kind of home you're looking at, you know, how to proceed, exactly. how to evaluate it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So let's go back to when you were living on your own, mm -hmm. moving around home to home, working as a teenager. Mm -hmm. What inspired you at that time? I feel like we kind of skimmed over that, but that seems like a really defining time in your life. I had no inspiration. I had, I felt like I was stuck. When you're in that situation, you know, and, and you're sleeping like a Greyhound bus terminal because <laughs> you can't find any place else to sleep, that kind of becomes your reality check. Now, you go through a progression of, okay, what the hell just happened and why did it happen and how can I overcome it? Is there something I did? Well, all of those were no. I I had I didn't have any real big options. So what I did was I had to get resourceful and resourceful fast. And then I found out about, like I said, a government program called Job Corps. I don't even know if they still have it, where I could have gone and got trained in a profession. What was going through my mind at that point, it goes through anybody's mind for those couple of years I had this situation, was just survival. I mean, the inspiration was I wanted something more for myself, something better for myself. And the only way to do that, you take inventory of what you know. Well, when my dad got out of the Air Force at the age when I was 10, I used to clean rentals, paint and cleaned rentals for my dad and uncle. So I started getting a little idea about what it was like to do buy and hold. 
and then they went to auctions to get the FHA and VA deals. Well, they were doing this back a long time ago. So then I learned what it takes to rehab a house and what it takes to get a house sold. And then when I was out for those couple of years, when I met my husband, my dad hired me into his office against wicked stepmom. Oh, she was ballistic, but he didn't care at that point because he knew what I was, go what I was going through and he didn't care. So he's like, I'll come back to San Francisco and then work in my office. So I did. And um, I learned what it took to run a, manage a real estate office. And then I also, I tried to get my real estate license in California, but we moved. So I, I didn't get it. You read the story about in the book, <laughs> about the shootout. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was fun. What was that like? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I checked in the hotel and I'm getting ready to go eat dinner. And then it's like, you know, you hear on the loudspeaker, please stay in place. We have an active shooter or something. And I'm like, what? No, no. So I laid on the floor all night. Oh, that was, yeah, that was a trip. I mean, that's happened twice in my life. Once in Miami, that was a different story. And then San Francisco. But I survived it. It was just like, you, you lay there on the floor going, this can't be happening. Because you know that, you know, there's a window between you and I'm laying on the floor between the bed and out the wall. and uh, Yeah, you, you can't describe that one. <laughs> I can't. So, yeah, it's, it's been a fun ride. Yeah, so you got this idea of going into real estate, mm -hmm. um, but then you moved to Hawaii before that and you moved mm -hmm. around a few times. Did that have any impact on you in an interruptive way or maybe, you know, in a way that helped you grow? It became a normal, you know, to always be around the, the, you know, the military and the military kids, you know, and then most of our families moved in the summer. So if you came home and all your friends were gone, it wasn't kind of unusual. And we adapted, adopted this, this policy of wherever the bed is, <laughs> is where we sleep and that's where we call home. Because sometimes you'd be between houses, not so much on a military move. It was usually out of the house into a hotel and then to your new place, you know, something like that. But it definitely helped me be adaptable. It definitely gave me a great appreciation for the military. It gave me a, a great appreciation of home. Home to me is where, and that's, we're struggling right now with my mother-in-law because we're putting it into, into assisted living facility and she's been in the same house since 1965. Okay. Home to her means something different than home to me. Home to me is, is family and where my family is and where my bed is, obviously. But to her, it's, it's, it's encapsulated in a building with all these memories. And I respect that, but I can't understand it fully. You know, we're struggling with getting her possessions into a new safe place for her to live. And it's like, how you describe that. So as far as me, I've had a different experience of having the opportunities to move, which I think have grown me as an individual because I can understand and respect cultures at a different level since I lived them. I respect all people and that's helped me in my business because it doesn't matter if someone's coming to me for like a single wide mobile home to live in or if they're if we're talking into the upper levels and the million plus. They're all the same. Everybody's the same to me. When I worked for NASA, it was a thing. Contractors to me, I was government. They were the same. They were, we were all equal partners and that didn't always go over well. <laughs> and I didn't care if it was a custodian that I was working with. I didn't care if it was, I was at the end of my career, I was in the safety office. So I dealt with a lot of different people across the, mm -hmm. the program. We were all important. All people are important. And people lose sight of that. They start judging. They start looking at, well, you drive that kind of car. You live in that kind of house. No, we all have the same. You go all over the world. Everybody's got the same goals. They want to be happy and healthy. They want to take care of their families and raise their families and live in a, a good life everywhere. When did you figure that out? Because oh, it's, it is easy to judge. Oh, sometimes, right? Oh, yeah. It's very easy to judge. I figured that out. <laughs> Fifth grade, 10 years old, and I hope she's not listening, but Cheryl Smith gave me a real good lesson in that. Because, see, as a military child, 
you know, certain things like, you know, you didn't really tell your dad there was a pilot, especially during the Vietnam War. That was very uncool and <laughs> very unpopular. So when I was growing up, people would say, so what are you? Because my nationality is kind of, we still haven't quite figured that one out yet, but we're pretty sure I'm Pacific Islander and European. But they'd say, what are you? And I was used to saying I'm an American. And Cheryl Smith beat me up. She says, you need to identify yourself. Now, she was talking about nationalities. And I never saw kids in nationalities. Believe it or not, we never saw kids in nationalities. But to have somebody actually call me out because what are you? Are you white? Are you Polynesian? Are you Filipino? Are you Hispanic? Where are you going with this? I'm like, I <laughs> me, me. But that, that right. did it for me. That was my defining moment. Were there turning points in your life that were really remarkable in terms of that, that moment that you described uh, with your stepmother mm -hmm. um, and right before you left home? That, that was one of your defining moments where everything had to change. Were there other moments like that? Oh, yeah. My husband of 25 years, a week after the terrorist attack, said he wanted a divorce because he wanted to go find himself. That was a serious defining moment. And that one almost made me crumble. I was destroyed. I was devastated. I could not believe it. You know, when the world was agonizing over the terrorist attacks, which were in fact definitely bad, here I was. My whole life was just unraveled. He, he froze all of my assets, my bank accounts. <laughs> he diverted my bills so he could get an idea of what was going on. I mean, it was, it was bad. And I'm like, wow, man, you know, I, we had two kids together in 25 years, and really? So that was a defining moment. Did you see that coming? No. My pastor said that during that time, there was a lot of people that were having midlife crises and trying to redefine their lives and... He said it was a textbook midlife crisis. So I was like, okay. And guess what? Went back to real estate. I bought a really dogged out piece of junk house to work on for a project, locked myself in it literally for a year, would go to work, come home, work on that house. That one I fixed up myself and it took forever. I had it for about 10 years. I had it as a corporate rental after I met this, my current husband and realized that we couldn't squish in there. <laughs> Not 30 years of life from one side and 30 years of life from another side. So we got the place we're in now. It worked out okay. So instead of having your own midlife crisis at that time, <laughs> you decided to work harder, essentially. I mean, I wasn't risking being homeless at that point because I had a government job. I, I knew that wasn't a problem. It's just what I wanted for my long term. But just because someone else's bad behavior or just because somebody else has a way that they choose that they think you should live doesn't necessarily mean that's a path you want for yourself. And that's exactly what I said. Because think about the progression of my life that we've talked about already. Remember, I started taking care of a little kid when I was 12. And then I had to take care of myself, barely grown up. And then I had kids young. And I took care of them, and then I had a husband. I've always taken care of somebody. So when I actually got divorced, it was an opportunity for me to come back and take those paths of my life that I didn't have a chance to do and do them, like travel, like join social clubs, like learn ballroom dancing, like I dive. I was a scuba diver, so I'd go on dive trips. I mean, it was an opportunity for me to take that, that proverbial lemon and make something different out of it. Yeah, you made the most of the situation. Now, my, my former husband didn't have a relationship with my daughter. And when she got killed in a car accident, he was left with that in his mind and heart. Mm. And he hadn't talked to me since he handed me those divorce papers, right? He called. I mean, we talked. And he said, whatever you need. And I said, right now, I don't even know what I need. Because yeah, I didn't even know what I needed. You know, I mean, you get that call and says your daughter just died in a car accident. Thanksgiving morning and she has two kids and you go, wait a minute. So what was that like when that happened? Oh, no. <laughs> no. See, that's remember I told you, I think that's why my mom died of a broken heart because it would have been easy enough to do. I absolutely lost my mind. I, I couldn't sleep. I had a ton of guilt. It wasn't my fault. She was at hospital and they released her at 3.30 in the morning. Who does that? But they did. You, you deal with the what ifs and whys and the loss 
you know, the lost everything, you know, I've got her daughter now. We're raising her daughter. She's now 11. She will never be there for my granddaughter's graduation or first dates or which will be at the age of 34, 35 or driving or anything. And then you have to explain that to a child. And sometimes when you have to explain something like that to a child, the answer may be, I don't know. And that's what I told her. I don't know why this happened. I don't know how. And um, I don't know how. A friend of mine who'd also lost his daughter in a crossover a couple of years, well, about 10 years earlier, was the first person to call me. And he said, I just, I'm sorry. This is a club you don't want to belong to. And I'm sorry you're in it. Because that's exactly what it is. You have parents that have lost a child, and you've had parents that haven't. And the parents that have lost a child, the pain is on a level that you can't, <laughs> it's not even right to bury your child, but let alone to understand. I mean, I've, I've, I've been, in, uh, went to hospice. They saved my life, hospice. Because you listen to, and you work with parents that have also dealt with that, but you also, I took my granddaughter so that she could talk to little kids that have also had this kind of thing. Because you can't, you can't even think it, you know, and it just makes no sense. <laughs> you know, it makes no sense. And I'm sure, you know, and I know that there were people, this is a small town, they're like, what was your daughter doing at 3.30 in the morning driving? Well, she was sick and she got released from the hospital and fell asleep at the wheel. No, she wasn't out partying, you know. So it's kind of one of those things, too, where you want to respect her and honor her memory. But you want to set the story straight without burying your soul. You know, it's it's a weird time. It still always is. Sounds like you found a lot of comfort in, in community and, you know, talking with other people mm -hmm. who had gone through something similar. Yeah, because if you try to if you try to bear this kind of grief on yourself, you usually aren't very successful. So we did that for a couple of years and I've been able to help others with my story. You know, I've talked to people and especially people are like, Oh, well, you know, I could drive home from the hospital after I, you know, no, you can't don't try. Let me come pick you up. <laughs> this is why, you know, and they're like, Oh, but it, it does. It changes your whole story. And, and the fact that I have my granddaughter with us, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that little gift that my daughter left. A very precocious, expensive little gift that my daughter left. <laughs> but she is my daughter when she was 11. And I look at her every day and just kind of smile. So just going back to something you said earlier, mm -hmm. you had mentioned that when your former husband decided to get a divorce, you said, well, I'm the one in charge of my own life and I'm going to be the one to mm -hmm. tell myself how to live it. And that right. your long-term goals were different. Did you have specific goals that you had set with intention or, or do you have a process for setting your goals? How do you do that? Personally or, or as a, a couple or, or, or what? Are you talking about like me currently with my goals? Yeah, I, I think you currently with your goals because that's when we know we need to adapt is when we're shooting for something specific. Otherwise, life just happens, right? Right. And and people have to understand when they make their goals. You know, you've heard this, the, the, the old adage that our goals are just dreams with a deadline. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Whenever we're working on something, either personally, professionally, what I do, you know, is basically I come up with a game plan and I have to figure out why, why I, I need to, what it would feel like, what it would mean to me to, to do this. Like one of the most recent things that I started was um, online education platform. It's a big goal. It's a big lofty goal. But why do I want to do that? The reason I want to do that is because I can get my message out to more people if I take the time to do that. And, you know, I'll get a monetary benefit out of it, of course, but that's my driving factor. It goes back to the same thing that drives me every day. If I can get my message out there, if I can show people that they can be successful in real estate, whatever form, fashion that means, whatever the five careers are that they choose, I will have succeeded in my goal. When you pick something, you have to know why you want to do it. What's your why? My why is my family. What drives you to do that? And then just 
just figure it out and go after it. Now, my problem is because going back to that thing with my stepmom and the overachiever thing is once I finish a very significant goal, I tend to look for the next one, which in and of itself may not be a bad thing to do. If you don't stretch yourself, if you don't reach, if you don't grow in that way, you die. You know, and it's scary. It's scary starting something new. But if you have a desire to succeed and the desire that drives you to do that, then you will realize your goal and what you want to do. And that's what that's how I do it. Yeah. What would you say to somebody who may feel stuck or, you know, as if kind of life's taking the wheel right now, especially right now? Mm-hmm. What would you say to someone who's who's feeling that way? and knows that they want something different, it may not be clear on what exactly that is. Well, my answer would have changed significantly last month by what you asked. (laughs) If you had asked me this last month, I would have just said, just do it. You know, if you want to do it, if you want to get off your butt and just go do it, okay? But see, now what we're facing is an entirely different dynamic. I've been watching people just out of a curiosity more than anything. What I see is, There's two groups of people. There's those that are panicked. I mean, literally panicked. And then there's others that are just completely ignoring everything. So somewhere in between there is the rest of the population. (laughs) To find out what's going to happen and and how we can react is in and of ourselves, of how we decide that we want to, you know, I'm not going to let life drive me. I'm going to drive life still. I just have to stay within the lanes of what's going on right now. Now, am I going to go out and be in crowds and stuff right now? No. But I've had to adapt my entire business model. We're presenting contracts by Zoom. We are making videos before people get their contracts accepted to say, you write me a contract and then you can get in. And people are understanding of that. You have to say, what would be the best thing? strategy for me to take right now first off we need to get past this lockdown that's the big thing and what's the rest of it going to look like a lot of people will go back to their jobs or they're still working or they'll find that they decided that they want to go ahead and pursue something else i think there'll be a lot of adjustments and i think over the next 12 to 18 months it's going to be extremely fluid and nobody really knows how this is going to turn out i think it'll turn out fine but how much we have to adjust as an entire planet, because this is a planet thing now. This isn't political. This doesn't have any boundaries. This is now how do we go forward? And my go forward is I am still pursuing my everything I lined up for myself for 2020, but adapting on how I carry it out. Does that make sense? Yeah. What's one action item you would say that we could do today to? better adapt and feel like we're empowering ourselves? The first thing is to be good to yourself. Be kind to yourself. What does that look like? Well, if you're scared, it's okay to be scared and be in that in the moment. Just don't let it paralyze you. What I'm doing is I'm I'm drilling down deep into my business. I'm learning skills that I hadn't learned before. I've asked my granddaughter to take over my social media, so that's going to I'm not sure what that's going to look like, but I think it's going to be fine because, you know, kids do things like that. But we have to take the reins of what's going on for ourselves as best we can, (laughs) even if it means cleaning out closets or if it means taking a, a new class to improve a skill or if it means do not sit there parked in front of a a television, you know, listening to newscasts over and over of doom and gloom. That's not where your mind needs to be. What you think about is where you follow or where you go. If you think about the doom and gloom, everything that is about your life, every fiber of your being is going to go there. But if you say, okay, we're going to get through this, and I've decided that I want to take up photography, so I'm going to take some photography classes right now, who might turn into a side hobby, for example. Or you might have a friend that does weddings that needs an assistant. Wedding's not right now. But you see where I'm going? You have to keep your mind open to the opportunities rather than shut it down because of a pandemic. We're locked down, but our minds are not. Mm. And if you keep your mind alive and curious, you'll, go through, you'll get through this. 
I'm seeing people walk in parks. You know, I live across the street from a park that's overlooking a river. I see people out there as families. I see people out there riding bikes, spending the six feet distance away from each other. I see a positive with this. I see the air pollution starting to cut down on, on certain areas and, you know, rivers starting to become cleaner, people being kinder. I see people sharing stuff. Maybe it's how I've looked at the world. I, you know, when I've met somebody, I don't necessarily say, well, how are we different? I look at how we are similar. So right now I see people doing good things during this uh, pandemic, although there's bad things that are happening too, but generally helping each other. That hasn't happened since September 11th. Right. Sometimes it takes a big shift to kind of remind people that we're all connected and we're all in it together. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what's kind of next for you? What, you know, what are some of your goals that you're working on? I'm glad you asked me that. This is so fun. You know, uh, I mentioned to you that I've got my, my elderly mother-in-law, we're, we're moving her into an assisted living facility. So that's got our attention a lot right now. But about, I don't know, I guess, it, you know, it's funny, you lose track of time. It's like, March had what, 47 or 48 days? I don't remember. <laughs> right. You know, it's been like that. I feel like I've been in lockdown for like, this is the umpteenth Groundhog Day because they keep staggering it here in Florida. What I've got going on right now is we decided as a family, the three of us, that we're going to go full time in our RV. Wow. <laughs> so we're downsizing. We were in the process of downsizing before I got the call to go downsize my mother-in-law's house and get it sold. So we kind of, we still are making that goal for February 2021. 20, Remember, I have to have dates that I kind of, if we adjust that, okay. Now, my coaching and mentoring program is all online. And that's something I'm really focused on because I'm able to help me and a, a gentleman named Kevin Shortell are, are helping lots of people all over the nation. So that's helped a lot. That's exciting stuff there. And then I'm writing a course for real estate agents. Everybody that's motivated and coachable, and I don't mean to make this sound like a pitch or anything, but anybody that's motivated and coachable that wants to close on a million dollars worth of real estate in 12 months, I'm developing a course to help them do that. Now, that's only if they have the fit of being a real estate agent, you know, a traditional agent. Because like a commercial agent, different story, different mindset very technical and analytical and real estate agents. I love them. <laughs> They're so bubbly and it, it just happy and excited to help people. And I want to help them. Okay. So that's what I got going on for 2020. Then I still have my note investing business that I'm doing. And then I've told my husband, because we don't know what's coming, we are going to align ourselves that if we get back into buying holds and fix and flips, that that will be, a path we can take and then because we're going to be we're going to be going into the rv world right. shoot you know we could we could buy and hold uh mobile homes or different things um you know his cousin finds class c rvs and renovates them and was selling them you know different things like that so um i'm going to focus on all that this year nice how'd you come up with those goals 2019 <laughs> <laughs> I I looked at where I wanted to progress, COVID or not. I'm still going through that. Now, remember, I'm cognizant of the fact there's COVID out there. But I can't be focused on it. I have to keep my business model going the same direction. And I've looked at what has happened in the past, in 2008 and 2009, what's happened in big events, going all the way back to the Depression, and see how people recovered from that. Ironically, what got them into it, was financial and the stock market and real estate, but I think that financial and the stock market and real estate is going to be what pulls us out of this one too. I see. That's this is the world according to Gail. Now I may be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's I okay. don't want to think it's going to happen. Yeah. <sighs> that's fun to just transition to RV lifestyle. That that's going to be stupid and insane. You know, we, I, the reason I did that, you know, cause I'm kind of, you know, I, I am not just by fly by the night, but I do see stuff and I think about it. And I saw this guy sitting outside his RV drinking a cup of coffee and his 
bison is walking by and this panoramic and I'm thinking, man, I want to be that guy. So, and then what better place to raise our granddaughter is on the road going to national parks and living history and, and seeing these places. And it's not going to be a little trailer. It's going to be a full on right now. We have a 32 and we're looking at going to a 40. So, and then just travel, just, you know, people talk about it when they say, well, I want to travel one day or I'd like to do that. It's like, great, do it. Well, you know, we got these. If you talk about all the negatives and the obstacles, you'll never do anything. I got a 2,100 square foot house. We've got brick and mortar investments. We've got um, my brother's stuff I'm still sorting through. My daughter's stuff I'm still sorting through. Our stuff we're still sorting through. And I'm going to get it all done so that I could go and have coffee with a bison in Yellowstone. <laughs> you just go out you want. <laughs> I do. I, and, you know, it, it works most of the time because, see, I'm also one of these people, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. You know, people believe in, you know, the religion, God. I know God's always got my back, but manifesting things in your life, it really works. If you imagine things, like I'll give you an example. So we went camping with the scouts, my granddaughter. We went over to Fort Wilderness at Disney, not too far, really cool campground and we're in a tent and that was the night the first night i decided i'm not gonna be a tent camper and it was so cold and then the second night wasn't as cold but i'm now pretty sure that this was a fluke it was great i enjoyed having the family time but i'm not sure i'm set up for all this so we checked out and i went and i made reservations the following year for the same campground you know this scout camping thing this time with a 35-foot RV campsite that I reserved. And my husband looks at me and goes, why'd you do that? I said, because we're going to put an RV in that spot next year. And he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> he's like, okay. Um, and guess what? We bought her in December. And we put that RV in that spot in March. And people were like, I didn't know you had an RV. <laughs> I was like, we did it. I made the reservations. So that was a big manifesting a, a 22,000 pound RV was like probably the best thing I'd ever done. If you see it and you envision it, you know, they say if you see it and you believe it and you dream it and you do it, it becomes real. A lot of that is true because your subconscious and your conscious mind don't know the difference. So I envisioned what it would feel like to drive a big old monstrous RV <laughs> down I-4 in Orlando. <laughs> and that's exactly how it felt. It, it's funny. And, and, and athletes do the same thing. Athletes will sit there and see themselves winning the race. And they feel what it feels like on every turn and corner. And that's how they train. So, it, And that's what I'm doing for, you know, other things in my life. Mm. Strange. I know. Don't judge. <laughs> <laughs> No, that, I think that's such a great way to see if you like it, is just to visualize it beforehand. Mm -hmm. What inspires you now? Are you reading any books or doing, you know, specific routines that help you? Usually I get up in the morning, I try to get up a half hour or so before everybody starts. And it's not a lot of time, but I need time to silence myself. I mean, yeah, you're just getting out of bed. You say, why do you need to silence yourself? It's more of a focus and more of a balancing thing I do where, you know, I express gratitude and people call it prayer, meditation, whatever, but I express gratitude for where I am, whether I was, you know, you know, not feeling well or, you know, it doesn't matter. I still have gratitude for where I am. And then I have coffee, <laughs> got to have at least one cup of coffee. And the night before I've already outlined how my day is going to go. So I kind of know, I mean, there's, there's going to be things that come up that, you know, surprise you or whatever, but Generally, that's how I work. I journal, and then most days I try to get out and, and go for a walk a little bit um, after my family goes out the door. But see, now they're virtual. My granddaughter's virtual schooled, so that's been kind of easier to accomplish. And then I get right into my day. And then at night, I wind down, also find three things that I've grateful for for the day and what I might have changed, and then go to bed. I, I keep a very simple life. And then when we go on the road full time, you know, I, it's a, it's a dream. I mean, if I can pull this off, it's going to be really uber cool. My life is going to be simpler. What I'm seeing, especially with the COVID 
is I think people have scaled down their lives to make them very simple. And now they've got some appreciation. They're slowing down. They're seeing, you know, hey, they're living. And that's what I want to live. The last half of my life, I want to actually live my life, not be tied to things, not to be tied to, like, furniture or house. I want to be able to experience more in my life before I get called home. And I can't think of a better way to do it than immerse myself in the world. And right now, it's a good time to simplify. It's a good time mm -hmm. to remember what's important. Don't be a victim in your own mind. Who was it? Will Rogers said that I, I've, I've got plenty to worry about, but most of those things I worried about never happened. <laughs> you know, people are worried about, are we going to lose our houses? Well, right now there's no foreclosures going through. I can tell you that. <laughs> most of the places have put holds on that. They don't want to see a meltdown. They're willing to help people. So the idea that you'll lose your house, your car, your everything right now, probably not going to happen. So worry about the things that you need to worry about, like keeping yourself healthy and keeping yourself sane and keeping your family sane and say, well, you know, that hobby that I wanted to try, I, you know, I have time to pursue it for the next week or two or however long you're going to be locked up. Some places are starting to release. Some people <laughs> I talk about lockup. I started this lockup in St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, and I thought it was only going to last until like the end of March, and then it ended up going to mid-April. Now it's the end of April. So I don't actually know when my release date is. <laughs> but until then, I'm going to have a clean closet. So we're going to have minimization. Nobody's taking anything as far as charities to donate to. But I know there's a homeless camp, so we've been taking stuff out there that they could use directly, like blankets and clothes and things like that. So you be resourceful. You help somebody else out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get your spring cleaning in, help your neighbors <laughs> out. <laughs> right. Well, you can't help your neighbors. You got to see six feet back. But yeah, but the spring, you know, spring cleaning the closets and we're, we're doing trip planning and cooking. Everybody's cooking. Everybody's, you know, we're not going to walk out of this lockout, walk out of the lockout. We're going to roll out of the lockout. When, mm -hmm. <laughs> because we're going to be like, it's sort of like a hurricane without ever having the storm or know which way it's coming from. And we've all eaten our hurricane snacks. And we <laughs> well, Gail, I really appreciate your time. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. I really, really enjoyed it. 